Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 69 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Courtney moorhead Balaker, the writer-director of the excellent new film Little Pink House, about that Kilo Supreme Court decision. Yes, it's a message movie, but it's a good message and it's important. This week's show is sponsored by I Feel Pretty, the new Amy Schumer film about loving your body, and it's one that we're not supposed to actually laugh at, according to the PC police. Before my conversation with Courtney, I wanted to take our sponsor a little more seriously. A new editorial at Deadline.com, one of the major sites that covers Hollywood, by the site's executive editor, no less, asks a very odd question. Are we supposed to laugh at I Feel Pretty? Are we allowed to? The new comedy star Schumer is a normal-sized woman who all of a sudden thinks she's supermodel thin. There's some laughs there, I think, on the basic concept, but it's ultimately about loving yourself as you are, not as you want to be. At least that's according to the early buzz. And of course, Amy Schumer is very woke, and so you know that's going to be somewhat of the message, if not the entire message of the film. The op-ed in question also touches on that Molly Ringwald essay, where she blasts the, the John Hughes films that made her a star in the first place back in the 80s. Turns out they're problematic in 2018. But here's the editorial sucker punch. Released today, The Hangover would have to answer for all that drunken white privilege. All right. The Hangover came out in 2009. That means it's nine years old, and already it's problematic, dated, maybe even a little racist. Do you see where this is all headed? (laughs) This is disastrous for comedy, let alone the culture at large. You know, at what point does an Amy Schumer type, or maybe even Amy herself, now would be a nice time, put her foot down and say, hey, enough. It's a comedy. Laugh or don't laugh. X-raying every joke is killing humor. We're not there yet, but I suspect we're close. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Here's the celebrity tweet of the week. This week's winner is Andy Richter, the sidekick to TBS's low-rated Conan O'Brien and his talk show. Richter is a hardcore liberal whose warm and fuzzy persona isn't exactly what you see on Twitter. You get a very different side of Andy Richter on social media. Case in point, this particular tweet. And I'm not talking about your white man-boy dorm room Ayn Rand fantasy philosophy. I mean in real-world terms. How can you say that the GOP has anything to offer average struggling people besides nostalgia? Their policies are just destructive, unless you're already loaded. Hmm. I guess he hasn't been looking at any of the economic indicators the last six months, or how many companies have given back quite a bit to their employees after Trump's tax reform passed. But, you know, listen, not everyone has access to the news like the rich and famous, so maybe we should kind of steer Andy towards a Google News site quick. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast. The right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is nails. You know, I'm a big fan of actress Shauna McDonald for one simple reason. 
she kicked butt in that great horror movie, The Descent, and the sequel, which isn't so bad. I've recommended both recently on this show. Here, she's a very fit mom. She's got a kid and a husband, but an accident leaves her paralyzed. And things get even worse for her when she's recovering. In her hospital room each night, something creeps into her area. Her space gets pretty darn close to her. What is it? And what is its connection to the hospital in question? Now, Nails is not a great horror film, but having our protagonist bedridden for much of the movie felt pretty fresh to me, with some apologies to Stephen King's misery. There's some really creepy sequences here, the minimal special effects work, and McDonald's is a good enough actress to make her character really kind of click, despite being in bed for most of the movie. Nails is available now on Netflix, and it's exactly why I like streaming services. It's a low-expectation movie you've never heard of before, but it kind of packs a punch. It's why streaming video services are so much fun and so worthwhile. Now let's get to my chat with Courtney Moorhead-Balaker. Courtney's the driving force behind the new film Little Pink House, opening April 20th. The great Catherine Kinder stars is Suzette Kilo. You may know the name. She was that working mom who found her dream home and wouldn't let go, but... Now who would take anyone's dream home? Well, in this case, the government. It's based on the Kilo Supreme Court decision that made eminent domain part of our vocabulary, part of the conversation, and also a not-so-friendly term that a lot of people dislike across the political spectrum. Little Pink House is the kind of smart, thought-provoking film we need more of these days. I really hope you go out there, check it out, see it, support it, and tell a friend. It needs that kind of support. It deserves that kind of support. Here's my conversation about Little Pink House and much more with Courtney Moorhead-Balaker. Courtney, thank you for joining the show. You know, every independent movie, there's a big story behind the making of it. It's always a struggle. It's never easy. But I'm cons- from your perspective, how was Little Pink House? Was it a similar struggle? Was it epic? And was there a moment where it all kind of slid together into place? Yeah, as you said, any small independent film without the support of a studio is a challenge because you don't have as many resources and you're kind of out there on your own sort of rogue, but we were very lucky. Um, I've produced feature films. I've worked for studios before. So I, I brought in one of my mentors and uh, incredibly established and uh, experienced producer, Joel Swisson. Um he, he joined our team and, uh, and we put together just a really great uh, group of people with a lot of experience. And after that happened, things really did fall into place. I think that part of why we were able to make it work is people, anyone who worked on the film was very passionate about it, whether it was the cast or the crew, they were very passionate about the story. They, they'd not heard of the story. They didn't, they couldn't believe something like this could actually happen. Um, we shot the film mostly in Vancouver, Canada. And at the time we were known as the little movie because I think they were finishing Star Trek there. There was just so much, it was very busy and uh, we were like the little guy. And I found out that uh, cause we, we, we got really amazing local cab. Obviously Catherine Keener and Jean Triplehorn are, are the stars in the film, but most of the rest of the cast was local and, and we got incredible actors that, you know, usually don't do small roles and we found out that we were known as the good movie <laughs> people just really liked that you know responded to the story and everyone wanted to work with Catherine Keener and Jean Triplehorn of course so we, I just felt very fortunate that people um, felt the passion and the drive to to make the film a reality 
Now, message movies can be kind of tricky at times. If they come together well, they change hearts and minds. If they don't, they just feel forced. They feel like they're kind of that you're getting a lecture. And obviously, your film is not that. But I'm kind of curious from the from a creativity point of view. You're the writer director. How do you steer away from the trouble spots, sort of the danger zones of that? formula because it can it can happen i mean i think the best of intentions sometimes lead to movies that could be mediocre but uh from was that on your mind during the production absolutely um i it's a great question i i adapted the screenplay from a book of the same title little pink house written by jeff benedict wonderfully written book i i encourage anyone who's interested in doing a deep dive into the story to read it um my, it was always on my mind. I I cannot stand watching movies that beat you over the head with, with message and ideology. You know, for me, it, it, it wasn't so much a, a message movie. It was my intention with the film was you know, there's this concept called eminent domain abuse. And if you explain it to somebody, they kind of get it or, or maybe they, they don't really know where they land on it. Um, but if you put a human face to it, it's a completely different story. And I wanted to bring the viewers into this woman, Suzette Kilo's experience. You know, I didn't want to make a documentary. We could have done that. But there's something way more immersive um, when you dramatize something like this. I wanted people to come into her life and see how this whole ordeal that took 10 years of her life, by the way, turned it upside down. It took time. It took its toll mentally, uh, financially, physically. And so for me, it was the humans. It was the human side of the story that had to be told where the facts and the, the, the message needed to be in the, in the backdrop. And I, I think that that's the only way that you can really communicate, um, messaging in films. I think you have to, you have to solely focus on the human element of the story. You've said in an op-ed that the goal of the film and its impact campaign is to finish the job Suzette started. Now, I was kind of curious from your perspective, having worked in film for a while now, how how um, either powerful a single film can be, and is that power, do you think it's getting more pronounced in 2018, or do you think that uh, that with all the distractions in our culture that a, a movie doesn't have sort of the sway that it once did? It's hard. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's a busy time there, you know, because films are easier to make in, in terms of money, you don't need as much money as you used to say 10 years ago, 20 years ago. There's a lot more out there. There's a lot more content. There's a lot more competition. And um, so I, I think it, it is hard to get someone's attention uh, to focus on your film or, or to, to move the needle as they say. Um, we, uh, to answer your question, I, I do. I absolutely think that film is one of the best ways to have an impact uh, politically, socially, because it's an immersive experience. Um, a lot of people covered the Kilo case when it was happening. All, almost every major media outlet covered it from People Magazine to LA Times. So people would read about it. But I, I really feel like it's a completely different experience when someone sits in a theater and for an hour and a half goes through what these people went through. Um, it's immersive. So I, I'm hopeful that, you know, we, we have a, a shot at making a change. I mean, um, I'll, t I'll tell you a quick anecdote if that's all right. Yeah, we played at, um, we played at the Provincetown International Film Festival last summer and, uh, 
great festival, by the way. And uh, about a week prior to our screening day, I got an email from a guy named Mike, and he said, uh, I saw that your film, Little Pink House, is going to be playing at the festival here. My family and I own a bike shop here in Provincetown, and the city wants to kick us off the property so that they can turn it into a parking lot. Can you help us? <laughs> and I investigated a little bit, and uh, I, I sent his email to the Institute for Justice. They're the law firm who took Suzette Kilo's case to the United States Supreme Court and defended her in her neighborhood. And they gave him some great pointers. And so he and his family um, came to the screenings and they handed out flyers uh, outside of the theater as people were leaving the film and the Q&As. And it was just serendipitous. The, the city council vote was like three days after our screening day at the festival we won the Audience Choice HBO Audience Choice Award. Every screening was packed. And Monday came around, and Mike and his family won. They got to keep their property. And he credits the film. He really felt like people in the community that watched the film and, and went on that experience um, had their minds changed. And so, you know, it's, it's little things like that. Like, that's a small, tiny story, but it you know, he felt like the film really made an impact. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons that, that we made it for, for situations like that. Yeah, that's actually better than an Oscar in a sense, because that was the goal of the movie, not so much to win. Exactly. Wars, to change those kind of situations. I was kind of curious about yeah. the media. You mentioned the media was obviously significantly covering the Kilo situation. Is I know you're sort of mid-publicity publicity cycle right now for your film, but... Are you having difficulties getting press for the film? Are, are reporters and critics and people coming to you? Are you reaching out to them? What's the status of that at this point? Uh, you know, it's, we're doing pretty well. Um, you know, we, we have a publicist, obviously, that's, that's reaching out, and, um, and uh, we, we will be reviewed, and um, we have some, some opportunities for television appearances and, and things like that. Uh, I think that what the benefit is is that uh, you know, because so many people covered the actual case, we can hopefully go back to those publications and say, hey, that case that you covered, <laughs> we just made a movie about it starring Catherine Keener. So there's a little bit more of an advantage yeah. and hook. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we'll uh, continue to get some good attention. Uh, David Crosby, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, he wrote an original song for our film. Um, he and I did the Adam Carolla podcast, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> so he's been very supportive and helping us publicized that Catherine and Jean have been very supportive of the film. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll continue to get some attention. Now, discussed over the Kilo decision was rather bipartisan, which you don't see too much in our culture these days. How is that impacting the film's rollout or even whether you can reach more people because of that fact? You know, it's, it is one of those rare cases that a lot of people agreed with, no matter what side of the aisle they were on. You know, Democrat, most Democrats thought it was a horrible decision. Most Republicans thought it was a horrible decision. So it's funny. I, I think that we have a rare opportunity to play to, you know, vastly uh, different audiences in terms of ideology. But because I've seen liberals respond very passionately to the film, I've seen conservatives <laughs> respond very passionately to it. And that's great. That's a great thing to see. I mean, it, you know, about 85% of Americans, when the decision came out, thought it was horrible and, and were shocked. Um, so I, so yeah, what I'm finding now, we, we did the festival run last year. Uh, we've been reviewed by a few people. Um, 
and, and we got really favorable reviews. But what I'm finding is that it, uh, it most people agree, no matter where you're coming from, that this type of thing should not happen again. Yeah. And the film itself, by the way, not only is it good, but I, I loved a lot of the little touches in the movie that made it feel, I don't know if homespun is the right word, but just real and raw. There's a, a you know, uh, the way that uh, Kilo's character fixes a, a leaky faucet. There's one scene where she's getting dressed and she's pulling a, a stray thread out of her suit jacket. I, I thought all those little moments, were <laughs> the kind of things that you don't often see in movies, and it makes it made it stand out for me. So. I, oh, thank you. I appreciate those touches. Uh, well, we're talking with Courtney Great. Warhead Balaker. She's the award-winning filmmaker and the driving force behind the new movie Little Pink House about that Kilo Supreme Court decision. Uh, let's talk about Katherine Keener. She's a great actress. We know that this is you working with her one-on-one to make this movie. What was it about her approach that either surprised you or that made you really appreciate that she was the uh, the lead actress here? Oh, yeah. Well, she um, she read the script and we had a conversation. I'd never worked with her before. And she was, I mean, she, I I just, I couldn't see anyone else in the role. I just, I've, I've been a fan of hers for years. And I just, I knew that if she took this on, she would just do a beautiful job with it. But she read the script and we had a phone conversation. We talked for about an hour and she just responded to this idea of, of, the, of your home and the importance of when you find your home, your spot, how you you put your roots there and, and the idea of somebody uprooting you from that special place was just so traumatic. It really mattered to her. Um, she, she, she got it. She completely understood it. And, um, and she was just, you know, uh, very blown away by Suzette and her, and, and the stance she took and her fortitude. And, and, and so we really, we saw eye to eye on, on what, what the focus should be uh, of the film and of the depiction of Suzette. And she, all, you know, she also really uh, responded to Suzette Kilo was not looking to be in the limelight. You know, she, she wasn't looking for attention. She didn't like it. She, she, she wasn't, you know, a crusader. She just wanted to live the rest of her life in peace. She raised five sons. They were all out of the house and she had a pretty tumultuous life and upbringing and she just wanted quiet and peace. And then that's, what, that was one of the driving forces of her to to buy this home and, and renovate it with her bare hands. And then she she does so, and then she's about to enter the biggest battle of her life. And Catherine went, <clears throat> really wanted to honor this sense of humility and how she was not looking for the attention. And she loved that about Suzette. I think she did a really beautiful job of capturing that too, just sort of a slight stoicism, but but humility. Um, that is that is supported by tremendous tremendous strength, and um, I thought she depicted that really beautifully in the film. Yeah, there's something about a home where you feel at home that's it's irreplaceable. So that's obviously a key part of the story. Yes, uh, you uh, produced the uh, really good documentary. Can we take a joke about political correctness and humor and what's happening on colleges? And I know it's only a couple of years old, but I feel like our culture and the landscape is changing so rapidly. Uh, have you considered maybe a follow-up project and where do you think that conversation has gone since you made the film? Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, we are considering a follow-up project. Uh, we're, we're trying to decide if it's a, if it's a TV series where we on a weekly basis, take the biggest outrage and break it down with comedians or if it's a podcast, but we know we, we need the conversation to continue. Cause as you said, I mean, it's, 
it just it's it just seems like things have, have gotten a little uh, <laughs> out of control on the college campus. Um, you know, I, I will say, and it, it, I'll just kind of focus on a you know how our what our film did. There there were a lot of campuses that showed the film. I think it it screened on like two hundred campuses, and uh, we were really pleased to see how it led to conversation more. I mean, there were a few incidents where people like boycotted or somebody like pulled a fire alarm to shut one of the screenings down. And there are a few instances like that, but mostly, uh, you know, you had like the college Democrats and the college Republicans or like the, you know, libertarian groups all getting together and they, they had a conversation about the film and that's, that's, that's all we hoped for. We just wanted people to talk about, um, censorship and, 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 what it means and why it's bad and, and, you know, especially in an art form like comedy. Um, so we were pretty hopeful that, you know, it, it wasn't just shouting matches and, you know, people, you know, protesting the film and things like that. It was mostly productive conversation. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that can continue and that films like ours and, and other projects out there will, will continue to, you know, create, spaces where people can be open-minded. One of the things I've been surprised at and really saddened by about Hollywood, and I, I review films, I cover Hollywood, it's what I do, it's, sort of, <laughs> it's what I do 24-7, mm-hmm. and I've been really amazed by the lack of collective outrage from the Hollywood community toward free speech attacks, toward what's going on in college campuses. I mean, there are exceptions, the, the Adam Carollas, um, uh, Bill Maher comes to mind as well. But just collectively, mm-hmm. when you think about how politically active Hollywood is, and it's their right to be politically active and embrace the causes they embrace, they have not embraced this cause, and certainly not not en masse. Why do you think that is? I mean, I, I, you, you, you're a filmmaker. You work with fellow creative souls. I just can't imagine why they would not be on the forefront of this discussion. You know, some of them are, some of them aren't. I think that the ones who aren't, and I, and I, look, I've never had a deep conversation with any Hollywood celebrity about this concept of censorship and free speech, but I, I do know what you're talking about. And I, I think Hollywood is a weird town and it's very tribal and it's very clicky. And I think that some people are maybe nervous about uh, stepping outside the popular <laughs> opinion of their peers. Um, I am not like that. I've never really felt like I fit into Hollywood. Hmm. <laughs> and um, that's why my husband and I started our own company. I mean, I, you know, th- there are, are parts of the industry that I think are, are you know, very bold and brave and do very provocative things. But I don't know. I, I think overall, there are a lot of people that are nervous about, um, you know, doing something that could be offensive. Because I mean, look, look at what happened to Kathy Griffith. And I'm not saying that I support what, you know, she, uh, what her choice was artistically. But I mean, you know, everybody got on this bandwagon. That's disgusting. That's horrible. And then she was basically like blacklisted for about a year and it's almost like if you didn't hop on that train, there was something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the backlash against Kathy was a bit surprising just given, you know, the fact that other comedians have 
you know, uh, been pretty critical of presidents in the past. And mm-hmm. but anyway, my point is that it was it, it almost felt like if you if you didn't get on that bandwagon to banish Kathy, you were a bad person. And and then it and then it died down. And now she's fine. And you know she's selling out. Uh, shows and things like that. So I don't know. I, I think it can just sort of be group think if that, mm. if that makes sense. I think people just kind of, maybe they're, they're a little nervous about saying something different and provocative that, that could possibly be viewed as unpopular. And, and that's dangerous. I, I think people need to say what they think and, and, and be transparent in their opinions. And, and I think people need to be open to that. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it, but I don't want to live in a society where I'm, I'm constantly terrified that my career is going to be crushed because I say something that my peers don't agree with. I, that, that's so immature. I mean, it's just, I, mean, I have a three and a half year old in preschool <laughs> and I'm like terrified, like of just school, like what, what's going to happen in, when he's in kindergarten or first grade or whatever. And, you know, just, you know, if he, this sort of groupthink uh, mentality, and I, I don't, I don't want to raise a child who is afraid to say what he thinks or or be unpopular, and and I won't raise a child like that. But it's it just reminds it just feels childish to me. Sorry, that was a really long answer That's to your okay. question. <laughs> well, well, hopefully the, the pendulum may swing back where he's maybe when he's eight or nine or ten, things will be getting <laughs> getting the way. They I hope so. Yeah. Or I'm just going to take him out. I mean, we'll just take him out of school. Like, you know, I, it's really important to us that mm-hmm. we don't raise a snowflake. You know, we want to raise someone who's strong and independent and, and, and messes up and it gets criticized and can take it, you know? And it's so dangerous to think about these, these, these kids in college that are going, they're going to be released into a world and their moms and dads are talking to their employers about how, <laughs> didn't get a good, you know, performance review. And that's happening. Yeah, you know, I've it's it, that, well. that type of thing happens. And I just, I can't, I, it's, it's doing more damage than good. These people, these young people need to leave college and enter a really hard, difficult world. And if you don't have the skill set to do it, you just won't survive. And I think that people that are raising kids like that are doing way more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your film is, is, at its core, a message film, although it's obviously much more than that. And often when Hollywood makes a message movie, the message is from left-of-center philosophies. And I, I know that your film has a bipartisan appeal to it based on the, the nature of the Kilo decision. But I, I was kind of curious, why aren't we seeing more right-of-center or even conservative message movies in Hollywood? Is there, are there sort of structures in place that makes it less possible? Are the artists just not submitting their work to the, you know, are they not sort of uh, creating those stories? From your perspective, why, what's happening in the industry? Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, message movies and and what to avoid. And when I, most of the conservative films or the conservative message films that I've seen are just so heavy handed. And I, I, you know, I look, I don't know. You're right. Hollywood is, is mostly a a liberal town. And, and I think getting movies made with liberal messages in Hollywood is easier than getting movies with conservative messages. Um, And I, I don't consider, I don't consider myself a conservative filmmaker. I, you know, I, I have seen conservative product and a lot of it, I just feel 
takes the message first route. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, people don't want to be told that their worldview is incorrect, especially if they're over the age of 30. I mean, it's very, it's, 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 it's not only condescending, it's, it's very, um, disorienting to people. People don't want to be told they're wrong or that their opinion is, is not based in, in reality or it, it just doesn't work. And I think that if, if, if people are making a film with this sort of heavy handed message, trying to convince somebody to think a different way, it's, it's just, it's not effective. And I think that, um, you know, there's this film, um, it was a French Canadian film called the barbarian invasions and beautiful film. I think it was made like 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, it's in French and, uh, it was about the healthcare system in Canada. And, um, I don't know what, I have no idea what the politics of the filmmakers were, but it was basically a very critical film about uh, national healthcare, Canadian national healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the hero was this, a son who basically was very wealthy and uh, secretly uh, paid for everything under the table so that his dying father could be comfortable and took him out of the system. And it's a beautiful film. And anyway, I, I don't consider that a conservative film. And I, I don't know what the intention of the filmmakers were, but I thought if anyone wanted to make a film that is critical of socialized healthcare, this is a brilliant film because it was about a son and a father. Yeah. First and foremost. And it was about exactly, it was about the relationship. It was about this father who believed in the system. He was a socialist. He believed in, in socialized healthcare. He was adamant. And then he had this, son who was more of a capitalist who was very wealthy who didn't believe in it and then they had it, that that was their background but it was not about po- the politics or the, the difference in politics it was about their relationship and it was about a dying father and a son trying to make his his father's last days comfortable and meaningful and surrounding him with love and it was just a beautiful film but you walked away really thinking huh does that does that system work you know mm-hmm. so i think that i think again it goes back to you have to make it about you. You have to make it about the, the human being and the and the people involved, not the the ideas. Well, before we let you go, Courtney, you mentioned your production company. Is there anything in, coming down the pipeline? You mentioned a possible. Can we take a joke sequel or follow up of some kind? What other projects are you sort of either flirting with, working on? Maybe they're nearing production. What can you share? We uh, yes, yeah, so we're we're working on getting. Can we take a joke? Uh, set up as a TV series. We have a few other feature film ideas in the pipeline. Not not so much ready to shoot, but we uh, we are completely focused on the launch of Little Pink House. Not only the theatrical release, but just the impact campaign that will be associated with it. Trying to uh, you know bring an end to eminent domain abuse and. Um, you know, we we encourage anyone who is interested in seeing this movie to go see it in theaters. We're the little guy. We are up against really big guys. And it's so important um, for people to support the film in a movie theater, because if we can show strong numbers in the movie theaters, that will only help us grow. Um, and uh, if it's OK, I'd love to just share our website where people can go littlepinkhousemovie.com. You just click on watch Little Pink House and you will see every city that we're playing in. We're playing about 27 cities. And if you don't see your city there, you can bring it to your town. 
through Tug, and we we explain how to do that. Um, and we have that going on too. For places from Anchorage, Alaska, to Lexington, Kentucky, people are um, bringing the movie to their town. So we're we're very focused on making an impact, getting this film and the and just Suzette Kilo's story out into the world. Well, you have my support, and I'll have all that information on the show notes page at HollywoodInToto.com. Do check it out. It is important. And see it that first weekend, and that's really sending a message. And then you'll get more small but good movies like Little Pink House in theaters. And that's what we want because the Avengers are great, and I'll be first in line when that movie comes out. But you need movies (laughs) like this as well. So uh, they are equally as important. But uh, Well, thanks again, Courtney, for joining the HitCast. Uh, please see Courtney's new movie, Little Pink House, opening April 20th, and go to that Tug website if you want to uh, check it out. Even if it's not in a theater near you, you can make it happen, bring some friends, and uh, we really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much, Christian. I really appreciate the support. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.